You're listening to Europe Calling with Terry Whitehead and Vince Tracy. All the news from Spain and the UK. Things you might have missed. So, a very good day. Welcome, everybody, to the 14th of April 2022 podcast. Here in Spain, um, near to Denia, on the south east of the country, we actually have a nice day. It's not uh, as warm as we'd like it to be. It's certainly not been bad. We've had a bit of rain. We've had um, high winds during the night and rain, but now a lot better. I'm going to go down across the mountain range in the car for about an hour and we find uh, Terry. So first of all, Terry, how are you and uh, what's your day been like? I'm fine, Vince, thanks. Yeah, it's been a good day today. It's, uh, as you say, it's been a little bit breezy, a little bit cloudy. We're not the lovely bright blue skies that we're used to yet just yet but it might it can't be just around the corner i think the bloke next door to me is building a large boat it seems to have a lot of animals there i don't know what he's doing <laughs> but, uh, we've had the biggest amount of rain in history uh, in, in member in living memory in spain and certainly in our area uh, that has fell upon us and caused no end of damage um but everything's we won't be running out of water this year i think okay well that's a look I'll take that as a bonus. Right, <laughs> let's see what I've got for you this week. Okay, so where we start this week, we're looking at the Pandora Papers, and in February, this is from an article I read, a commentary from the Tony Blair Institute for Global Change urged policymakers to seek, among other measures, higher taxes on land and homes. Blair, the Institute's founder and executive chairman, talked about how the rich and well-connected shirk paying their share of taxes as far back as 1994 when he campaigned to become the leader of the UK Labour Party. For those who can employ the right accountants, he said, the tax system is a haven of scams, perks and profits. During a speech in the West Midlands, we should not uh, make our tax rules a playground for tax abusers who pay little or nothing while others pay more than their share. Now, the Pandora Papers show that in 2017, Tony Blair and his wife, Sherry, became the owners of an $8.8 million property, a Victorian building, by acquiring the British Virgin Islands company that held the property. The London building now hosts Sherry Blair's law firm. The records indicate that Sherry Blair and her husband, who served as a diplomat in the Middle East after stepping down as Prime Minister in 2007, bought the offshore company that owned the building from the family of Bahrain's Industry and Tourism Minister, Zayed bin Rashid al-Bazayani. Okay, a reekin of hypocrisy. Have you been following these papers? Yeah, when it first happened, a number of years back, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, I remember it coming out at the time. And, and, and all, all we've had this week, of course, is there is no impending Third World War or anybody being massacred in the Ukraine. It's all about Partygate, according to the British news. 
and whether somebody had a bit of birthday cake and a glass of wine or not, um, which is obviously more important than anything else. Yeah, but with uh, and the phrase is being bandied about that Boris Johnson, the current British Prime Minister, is the only Prime Minister to ever been uh, given a criminal record, shall we say. Well, number one, he hasn't got a criminal record. He's been given a fine. But number two, you mentioned Tony Blair. My God, talk about criminal records and how people have dodged it. Mm. How the hell did he manage that one? Yeah, the, the, the Pandora Papers were the uh, the, the investigative journalists who, who, who God, God knows how they managed it, but found millions of records of, uh, of transactions, somewhat shady, some of them, shall we say, that involved an awful lot of people in uh, in high society and, and politics. And, and the Blairs, of course, were prominent amongst it. And the fact that they used tax avoidance measures, shall we say, to save themselves £300,000 in stamp duty when they bought their, their London house. It, it, it's, where does it go from there? When you consider the, the billions that we're talking about of unpaid taxes, and the fact that I've, I've had numerous tax inspections over the year, you know, where they find out you're owing 40 quid or something. Yeah. Um, I sometimes think they're missing the, uh, they're missing it. Missing the point. Yeah. Well, uh, this particular website, as you identified, it's an international consortium of investigative journalists. And um, I remember when we first got this, it sort of came out, I think, about uh, two years ago. Um, but the thing for me is, I don't know why this came up again. It was still bandied around. So I thought, well, we'll have a little look. And some of these papers, for example, there's... Um, they, they reveal more than 800 Russians behind secret companies in landmark expansion of public offshore database. That's mm. one article, April in this year, April the 11th, 2022. Um, so that is fairly hot off the press. And then uh, they looked at the sanctions uh, also again, April the 11th. Russian bankers sh shuffled personal wealth offshore long before the latest sanctions the pandora yeah. papers have shown um yeah. again st same date who helps russian oligarchs secretly buy jets yachts and other luxury playthings and um okay the others are a bit further back in october in 2021 offshore havens and hidden riches of world leaders and billionaires exposed in unprecedented leak the the only thing that i would like to know a little bit more about is where where will this take us because knowing this and then somebody actually doing it uh, for example a, an oligarch's nephew a tattoo artist and 700 million dollars in secret transfers traced to a putin ally so what are they going to do with these bits of information as we get them do you think well i mean whatever we read in the papers is, is a million miles from reality in as much that uh, w when we hear about the oligarchs uh, of Russia being uh, penalised because of um, res current restrictions, economic restrictions placed on them because of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, um, they're, they're, it's not exactly if it came as a shock. So I don't think that these oligarchs have actually uh, lost too much money on the whole deal because that money would have been shifted around uh, at numerous different areas that uh, are untouchable by, by UK or, or American courts or European courts, for that matter. They'll have it shifted one way or another. They're not that, they haven't made that much money by, by not knowing the ropes. So uh, it, it's, it's, 
What, what gets me, I mean, we, I know we talk about corruption, well, possible corruption, but what gets me is you get places like Amazon uh, who make billions and trillions of dollars a year and pay like £4 in tax in the UK. You know, it, it, that, that is wrong. Things like that are very, very wrong. Uh, and I think they need to look at things a little bit. Look at the, the big fish rather than a small fish. You're absolutely right. But the annoying thing is they, they give you this information. So it sort of gets the hackles going. And then you think, well, hang on, nobody's doing anything about it. Now, for example, it's uh, probably I'm a little bit more uh, unusual in the fact that I, I'm involved in quite a few things, which means I'm looking for information. For example, I don't know if you've caught up with the fact that Abramovich is possibly putting in a bid for Valencia Football Club. Um <laughs> Well, exactly. You know, we know that the um, sanctions have bitten the hand of his um, money in Britain. Uh, but um, if there's any consistency at all, then there's no way that he should be able to buy Valencia. Having said that, there's a stadium that I'm sure you, you're probably in the picture with this, but in Valencia, they have a new stadium almost yeah. ready to go. And yet it was sort of something somewhere between Hercules, who used to be in the Premier League or La Liga, um, and obviously um, the uh, Valencian Football Club, owing money from the constructors or a bit of hanky-panky to say the very least, that means that that stadium is standing there just waiting for somebody like, shall we say, Abramovich to come along with some money and invest in it. Mm. I mean, yeah, it, sorry, sorry. It is, it is amazing, really. <clears throat> it's supposed to be a uh, uh, worldwide uh, censure of, of Russian accounts. And, of course, the oligarchs have been dragged into this on the basis everyone thinks that if I put pressure on them, they'll put pressure on Putin to stop the war. But I don't, as much as we think we're, 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 we're uh, seizing their yachts and... Uh, uh, and 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 then football club, shall we say? Uh, it's 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 not even scratching the surface of, of what they actually own. Yeah. And as much as we think we're we're giving them big punches, I don't think it really is happening. To be honest with you, but I'm very surprised if that happens uh, that he's allowed to invest. But of course he can. He, I mean, he can invest through trust funds and God knows what else. There's different ways of doing it, no doubt. Where there's a will, there's a way, Vince. And these people are far more intelligent economically than you and I'll ever be. Yeah, um, certainly they've me. They've made it with their knowledge and they'll keep it with their knowledge. Yeah, I, I, I certainly would concur for me. You've probably got maybe a bit more of an insight, but um, let's move to the next one then. Okay, now I think this is um, very important for Spain. Remembering, of course, that we mainly try to get Spanish news and then move to some English uh, stuff if or United Kingdom if necessary. Now, uh, this is the visit of um, Sanchez to Morocco and the visit aimed to draw a line under a major standoff between the two countries. Spain dropping its long-held neutrality on the Western Sahara has also sparked a domestic Backlash, a backlash with the Spanish Congress on Thursday condemning the move in a motion presented by the government's coalition partner, 
Podemos, who um, tend to be very much towards the communist point of view in virtually everything. Uh, the diplomatic crisis began a year ago when Madrid allowed Brahim Ghali, leader of the Polisario Front, which seeks independence for the territory of Western Sahara to be treated for COVID in a Spanish hospital. Morocco accuses Ghali of war crimes and sees the Western Sahara as an integral part of the kingdom and a highly sensitive issue of security and national pride. The desert territory boasts rich Atlantic fishing waters, phosphate resources and a route to lucrative markets in West Africa. For Morocco, the question of Western Sahara is the top priority. And the country fought a bitter war with the Polisario after Spanish colonial forces withdrew in 1975, uh, which is basically what I think you were telling us last week. And um, Rabat controls 80% of Western Sahara, which is uh, considered by the UN a non-autonomous territory. Now, the Polisario agreed a ceasefire in 1991 on the promise of a referendum on self-determination. It's since claimed regular, sometimes deadly attacks on Moroccan forces after declaring the ceasefire null and void in November 2020. Weeks after Ghali's hospitalisation, more than 10,000 migrants, of course, surged into the Spain-North African enclave of Ceuta as Moroccan border forces looked the other way in an incident seen uh, to be punishing Madrid. And again, I think um, that was something that you had mentioned to me last week. Um, on the 18th of March... Um, well, what have we got on that particular date? Uh, Madrid announced a new stage in relations and said it now backed the North African Kingdom's plan for the territory. Uh, that's limited autonomy under Moroccan sovereignty. Addressing journalists after the meal on Thursday, Sanchez hailed the historic moment. He said they'd agreed a, a clear roadmap that allows the management of matters of interest in a concerted manner, in a spirit of normality and good neighbourliness, without room for unilateral acts. He also said the countries would work to restore normal border traffic between Morocco and Ceuta, as well as the nearby Melilla. Spain's move, widely seen as a, a, a Moroccan victory, has infuriated its regional rival, Algeria, which has long backed the Polisario and also supplies vast quantities of natural gas to Spain. Algiers last month recalled its ambassador from Madrid in protest at the decision and state-owned energy giant Sonatrach warned on Friday it could increase the price of its gas sales to the country. The Spanish Congress denounced the, the reversal of a historic position in a motion put forward by Podemos. The move amounts de facto to supporting the path proposed by Morocco by abandoning the basis for a mutually acceptable policy uh, solution, said the motion, passed by 168 MPs. Now, this obviously is um, of more significance to Spain, uh, so I would imagine it's not taken much um, notice of in the UK, but mm. uh, do you get the feeling that it's a huge issue here in Spain? I'll tell you why I asked the question. Uh, my 14-year-old grandson actually seems quite well informed, so it's almost as if something must be going into the schools uh, in an educational sense as well, um, unless, of course, there are, there are people in there with their own agendas. But what do you think? Well, uh price of energy in Spain, like most places in the world, is, is soaring. Um, 
on my uh, the petrol station. I noticed my diesel is now one eighty nine, and it's like going up by the second. Um, gas, uh, of course, is a major source of energy in Spain. Um, around here, it's virtually all uh, bottle gas. There are a few places where it's uh, in the towns where it's it's piped in, but mostly it's all bottle gas. But the price of gas going up. Uh, and the restrictions on supply, which are no doubt going to happen because of what's happening in Russia and the Ukraine, uh, makes Algeria um, and, uh, and North Africa a very interesting uh, position from Spain's point of view. Across the Straits of Gibraltar lies on, on, on favourable amounts of, of relatively cheap gas. So a deal is important to be made there. Um, Western Sahara, that, that's an awkward one because... As far as I'm concerned, as I, as I remember, it was it's a bit Morocco acting very much like Russia's acting with Ukraine now. They they moved in and took it over, and that's why you got the Polisario moving against it. That's the group of independently independent dependent warfarers, if you like, in the uh, Western Sahara who were defending their state. And nobody really gave a monkey's about Western Sahara or Morocco for that matter until A, gas was found, but more importantly, B, phosphates were found. So the phosphate pines are mainly in Western Sahara. All of, a all of a sudden, of course, Western Sahara becomes a great place to have when you have a monopoly board and you can put your hotel on it. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's, it's a tricky one. Um, there's Algeria and Morocco. Not really seeing eye to eye over all that. Algeria supports Western Sahara, I suppose, because they want a bit of those phosphates. But as Morocco was, is grabbing Western Sahara, and said, no, we're having it. Meanwhile, the people of Western Sahara are piggy in the middle, and they call the Polisario Front. Oh, well, thereby hangs a tale that yet another uh, pending war. I don't know what be a war there, but it, it's another conflict in the world that the world doesn't need. It's, yeah. These countries suddenly become... Uh, other countries want to grab other countries because what they have, that's what's happened with Ukraine. Uh, well, I was quite surprised by my 15-year-old grandson because, you know, you don't mm -hmm. normally get 15-year-old um, uh, kids who basically want to talk politics with you. So it, that's admirable. Well, and Somebody for, must have talked to him about it. Yeah. Um, that, that, as I say, he seems uh, very well informed on it. Uh, but then again, he's, he is a very sharp lad. So I would imagine that, you know, some of it is of, of his own uh, volition looking for it. Uh, whilst I've also got your ear on a particular part of the world, I did read a very, very uh, strange article which told me that um, apparently Colonel Gaddafi in Libya um, had some marvellous policies like that nobody in the country had a mortgage. Uh, he wanted to make sure everybody had somewhere that, that was their own place to live and things like that. I mean, uh, I was always under the impression that he was more of a, um, should we say, a, a problem than somebody that was trying to make life good for his citizens the way that this article seemed to be heading. Uh, do you know much in that area, Terry? Well, we, we all believe that he was a, a much-loved leader of Libya, though I think the blokes who took his head off at the end of the day didn't really think that, that, that way. But he, uh, obviously, as, as a dictator... He, he, he rules by oppression. I, I'm intrigued as they didn't, nobody had a mortgage. That means either A, you didn't own anything, therefore you, therefore you haven't got a mortgage, therefore you're living in this property by grace and favour, or, and B, whoever did own that property before you was that it stolen nothing by the government. Mm. So it's all right saying nobody had a mortgage, if that was the case. Um, 
I find that very strange. But yes, it, it, uh, when he when he was killed, it did leave and still has left a massive uh, void in Libya. And there's still warring factions to this day fighting over the bones of what's left in Libya. Of course, they've got huge uh, oil resources and, and mineral resources. So again, on the monopoly board, are quite valuable. So no doubt many countries have a vested interest. Of course, the famous pictures of Tony Blair sharing Gaddafi's tent not long before he yeah, was... Yeah, uh, that's right, yes. Sent, sent, <laughs> ...sending American airplanes from British bases to bomb him. So uh, mm. it's a funny old world, isn't it? It is. Um, I mean, it's not an area that I've been given great education in from our own education system. So I'm learning as I'm going along. OK, stand by for the next one then. Right. Okay, so Spain's uh, Guardia Civil. I don't know why they always call it the Civil Guard in the translation, but Guardia Civil is what uh, we, we see on the side of the van. So uh, investigating a private taxidermy collection with more than a 1,000 stuffed animals, including 405 from protected species and at least one extinct specimen discovered at a warehouse in Valencia. Um, elephant tusks, cheetah, white antelopes and more. The largest of protected stuffed specimens in Spain and one of the most sizable in Europe. Uh, this is um, worth a whopping 29 million euros, 24 million uh, pounds sterling, and that the person being investigated may face charges for smuggling as well as those related to the protection of flora and fauna in the municipality. I think it was better was the area that uh, was quoted. And then I picked up this in one of the papers, um, the comment on that was um, watch The Velvet Queen. It's an amazing documentary film that may just change your view of the world. The truth is that we humans are destroying the planet. Most of this is down to just a couple of things, agriculture and oil. Urban areas, funnily enough, are actually better for the environment than ag agriculture. As a soil scientist, I measure daily just how badly farming is polluting the planet. Much farmed land has P indexes way above what they should be, and that really is echoed by how badly the rivers are being polluted. We scientists, though, are virtually powerless to stop these people, though. Uh, as society wants meat, it's depressing. We have to start cutting down on meat, cutting down on oil paying environmental workers better. These are people out there who have a deep harvest and they want to save the planet but are, are being ignored by the system. Getting out in the wild really lands perspective on how trivial our human problems are. A little bit of strange uh, translation there. But, um, I mean, it shows you really that a, a lot of people immediately jump on one news article to get people who might possibly be related to that point of view um, which is of course the uh, horror of finding all those protected species um, is, is there much validity in both of those the reason why somebody should have a private collection of that many stuffed animals in Valencia or anywhere really and then the comments from the person that wrote about this Velvet Queen amazing documentary well when I was a kid I used to have a a little face for about a year and a half of a stamp collection, which 
brought wonderful words to me like Magyar. I suddenly realised that was Hungary. And something about Swiss, I can't remember. Hell, there she was at Swiss, I can't remember now. Yeah. Different names on stamps, so that's about as much as I learnt on that. Because as you get older and you realise that there are some very serious stamp collections in this world worth many billions of pounds because it, uh, it, ha it became a currency rather than using currencies to, uh, to buy and sell things, um, which varied. Uh, the transaction would vary on the exchange rates of that currency. And people very quickly realised that a stamp collection was a great way of shifting wealth around the world quite innocently. Um, people then collected diamonds. Gold, of course, is a bit bulky when you're talking about the money we're looking at. Diamonds can take a small amount of, of space. And, and likewise, I can fully imagine that there would be a market, especially because the bulk of it is forbidden. If something is forbidden, everybody wants it. Uh, for stuffed exotic animals. Um, I mean, when, when, when you see a, uh, a famous portrait, Vince, that's been stolen from a gallery somewhere, why would somebody steal a famous portrait? You can't sell it. Or can you? Because the only person that can buy it is somebody with a fair amount of money, presumably. Yeah. And who's he going to show it to? It's going to have to be in his bedroom that nobody ever sees it. Can't possibly show it to anybody because he'll be in jail. <laughs> so it's a weird sort of, it's a weird market when, you know, i.e. stuffed animals, I consider that's part of the same market as, as buying a, a stolen portrait. It's, it's tantamount to the same thing, as far as I'm concerned. But I've no doubt there is a market for it. When you consider there are people in this world, Vince, unfortunately a lot of them, that money is, means absolutely nothing. But if you can trade in that money for really weird articles that nobody else has got, then there's value. So that, mm. that's, that's the only reason I can see there somewhere. And the Guardi Seville, Vince, are the civil guard. Oh, yeah, they're, get, they're, they're army. They're not. They're not. They're not police. They're army. No, no, I, I didn't mean it quite like that. I meant that no. um, you, you know it, it seems if we're all walking around seeing Guardia Seville, and then the yeah. minute it goes in the papers, it comes up as the civil guard. You know, there will be certain people that don't don't twig to that straight away. Yeah. It, it just. No, that is. They, 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 they come under the army. They're, mili they're military. Yeah. That one. yeah. Um, what about my other question, which is basically, I do find that this happens quite a lot. Somebody writes an article and then you find underneath it, somebody else has written a long, not a reply to the article, but something that maybe they're hoping that other people will relate to you know um although it's a bit flimsy the truth is that we humans are destroying the planet yes you could probably justify the comment going in with that but then really the as a, as a soil scientist he wanted to make that point really more genuinely than anything else didn't he well we've, there's a prime example of, <laughs> of that with these horrendous rains which i alluded to at the beginning uh, that we've been suffering of course What's happened to us here, where I live, uh, we've been on battle water for the last three or four weeks. So you think we haven't got any water. We've got loads of it. You just can't drink it. And we've been advised not even to wash in it. Why? Because the horrendous amount of rain that we've had, which is wonderfully, thank you, the manna from heaven, which is filling up our reservoirs and aquifers, is running off the fields where presumably illegal fertilisers have been laid and it's washing into the aquifers and the, and the water systems. And we end up, as the, the end user down in the village, 
coming out of our taps and it started coming out a bit cloudy and we were we were eventually told not to drink it and not to wash it so whoa what the hell's in my taps i'm thinking and we had this eight years ago we had, we had a similar downpour then not as big as this but the same thing happened it was a big heavy downpour uh, and it created all this fertilizer we washed into the aquifers and the, and the reservoirs and it was getting pumped into our taps and we were then since then hit with massive surcharges in our water bills to pay for all the new equipment and, and technology yeah. to make sure this never happens again well guess what eight years later eight years of exotic payments to the water board and it's happened again yeah uh, and the excuse is oh it broke down really tell <laughs> you what um, off us in the last eight years very um, very illuminating some of this because just innocently I, I took the grandchildren up to uh, Benny Beige to see these caves um, which are not, I wouldn't have said they were mind-blowing because I've seen bigger things in, in France but at the same time if you open your mind to what we're looking at and then look at the years that they attribute to the caves being there I think it was something like um, one th no, no it, was, it was massives of thousands of before Christ yeah. so you know we're talking about serious history really and um, you walk right through the caves and right at the very end you can't see anything but you hear this water cascading i mean yeah. you know i remember very often you talking to me about the water tables and you know how that there is water about it's just basically yeah. it's, it's not what you see on the top it's what's running underneath yeah that you don't see uh, and it's very much uh, like them very much limestone that, that's what a cave is normally it's normally limestone because it's a soft rock and it gets washed out yeah by the water currents but it is it, it's amazed me that it is quite long that and when yeah. you consider that the cave dwellers actually lived in the mouth of the cave, all the all the fire arcs that you see uh, are all at the mouth of the cave. Why? Because they didn't have any torches, did they? Or electric light systems. Yeah. So you know, to go in down down the cave, they might have gone around the corner for a kip. But, uh, but why would they want to wander down into the depths of the cave with with a a bit of bit of wood on fire? You know, whether they will choke themselves to death, I don't know. Um, so the, the the actual living part of it was the actual mouth of the cave. Uh, like most of these places. Okay, Terry. Yeah, it is fat. I, know, I do. I went down there donkey's year. I went down there about 40 years ago. Yeah. Uh, it is quite fascinating, I must admit. It is quite fascinating. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, okay. I'll just play our jingle. It's your calling with Terry Whitehead and Vince Tracy. Items in the news that you might have missed. Europe calling. So, uh, written into one of the Spanish papers, the COVID-19 pandemic has deprived us of many things, including expressions of affection and physical contact, which have so many benefits for physical and mental health. Now that it seems that the masks will no longer be mandatory, uh, which is, I think, supposed to be just after Easter here in Spain, perhaps we can bring them back. Um, now, that is um, very, very telling, actually, because, um, you know, I I've noticed there's a reticence of a lot of Spanish people 
to put the masks to one side. They don't need to wear them in in the uh, open air at the moment, and yet they are still walking around with masks on. I find that uh, a little bit alarming because it means they're not getting back to any sort of normality in the sense of um, being able to smile at somebody going past you on the street, uh, that sort of thing, or on the coastline, to be more precise. Um, mm. it, it is a bit of a problem, this, isn't it? it is, well, yeah, I'm very observant. I mean, today I was out this afternoon, and you see mainly the older folk are walking around with a mask in place. I'm walking around without a mask in place because it's, it's blowing a, a hooli, so I don't particularly see any problem. Uh, I had to meet a guy in the bar. I put my mask on to go into the bar, and then we sat on the terrace anyway, so we took the mask off again um, to, to comply with conditions. Um, COVID now, it's a case of if you haven't got it, you're going to get it. And and it won't be long before you get it because it's just one of the things we're just going to have to get. Hopefully, and fingers crossed, when we do get it, um, it'll be a, a minor uh, problem. A friend of mine, he's... Uh, 75, 76. He got it on Friday. He's right. It's nine months. It's just like a bad cold. Yeah. Still testing positive. Yesterday was testing positive. Still from last Friday. So over the next few days, hopefully, he'll be testing negative again. I'll give it a few days after that and I'll go and visit him. But um, how he got it, I don't know. Um, he's, you know he's not exactly getting out and about everywhere. But uh, obviously, he's got it from somewhere. And it, it's, it was a minor inconvenience. Uh, Another friend of mine um, in the Isle of Man, who was an avid listener to this podcast, he he went back and he got it straight away, uh, and he's um, he he's got um, problems, and but he didn't have a problem with it. Uh, he left him a bit tired, but uh, he's been fine with it. He's, he's back at work, and uh, you know it just felt like a bad cold for him. So hopefully, touch you wood, frantically as I am now, he's listening. <laughs> uh, when I get it. Uh, I hope I can just moan about the same thing. Uh, I don't want it any worse than that. Well, Whereas two years ago, I was probably looking at a death sentence. I've got to say, uh, uh, t- twice now, I think I have had what would probably be um, straight away from somebody else telling me that, that it was COVID. There was one day I woke up in the middle of the night, a bit of Irish there, but you know what I mean, and the room was absolutely spent. Spinning. I mean, it was one of the most horrendous bouts of dizziness that. Hey, I'll tell you something though. All joking aside, it was quite alarming. Um, yeah. And then I felt really, really, really drowsy. And uh, two or three days later, uh, I think I was on the mend. Uh, but then again, you see, I, I've been taking a lemon a day for certainly five or six years now. So, you know, it's got to give me some some sort of help. Um, I do think that... Based on what? It's because based... it's a lemon. Well, it's based on the fact that the lemon, if you look at its properties, and I'm not going to reel them all off because I have to read them every now and again to go over them, but it's worth doing, Terry. It doesn't particularly... Oh, I, I, there's no doubt about it. My, my missus eats a mountain of fruit every day. Yeah. She must hoover through an orchard of stuff. I don't know what she eats. Um, far too healthy, as far as I'm concerned. But, well... Uh, it's, it's obviously keeping her alive. Yeah. Um, probably... Whereas, my, my pie chips and beans are keeping me alive for the same reason. I don't know if it's any good. And it's kept COVID away. Well, would. <laughs> I'm not, I've never heard of pie chips and peas being the it antidote. Works, no, beans, beans. beans okay. Pie chips and beans. Um, keeps COVID away. 
There might be a link with uh, what we've been talking about. There are two other parts to this uh, page that I was looking at. One was countertops, utensils, blenders, can openers, sink drains, cloths, cutting boards, sponges and scouring pads. Kitchens are full of possible hiding places for a multitude of microorganisms that can cause infections and illnesses. Improper food handling not washing hands before preferring food and unhygienic practices all contribute to pathogens roaming free. Some of the most common in this environment are bacteria of the genus Salmonella, um, viruses such as hepatitis A and parasites such as Giardia and uh, Tainia solium, which I've never heard of. In the article that opened the, the summary of the week that was ending, the Professor of Microbiology at the University of of Salamanca. This is a gentleman called Raul Rivas Gonzalez emphasizes that we must be especially careful with scouring pads. Now this was something that um, I think makes sense now. Their porous structure and the moisture and food debris they harbour makes them the ideal habitat for microorganisms to prevent pathogens from proliferating. It's therefore important that cooks maintain good hygiene and regularly change the scouring pads. This will protect your health and that of your guests. And I have to say, Terry, I I have known people very, very unwittingly not changing the scouring pads for months on end. I don't know whether you've um, ever come across that. Well, the yeah, it's not broken, is it? It's not broken yet, so I don't change it yet. When it's worn out, I'll change it. That's because it'll need changing then. No one's ever going to think it needs changing because it's full of crap. It's full of all the crap you've been scouring off of dishes and then letting it to dry and 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 and, 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 and get ferment in the heat of the day and then you go and wash your plate with it and think you're making your plate clean uh, it's a bit like having that there's more germs on, on a mobile phone than there is on a toilet seat mm. um so it's it's but you know we're, we're very conscious of, of keeping a toilet seat clean but only people go around cleaning their mobile phones good on a good basis. point very good point that but we at the same time vince if we don't eat a bit of crap we know you, you can't live uh what was his name the lady there uh, that uh, professor? No. Okay, we'll come back to a minute. American millionaire who, 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 who wouldn't touch anything. Ah, yeah, I uh, know who you mean. Yes. You know, I'll never forget, oh, what's his name? Yes, 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 yes. I do know who you mean. Yeah. Okay. So he, he didn't, you know, he didn't live a particularly, in the end, it wasn't a healthy life he had because he was, he, he wouldn't go anywhere near where there's any, any bit of dirt or any possibility of, of contact with anybody. Uh, and, and this is wrong. I mean, my little my little grandson now is eight months old, and um, he's dropping his dummy, you're picking, you're wiping on your sleeve, and you put his dummy back in his gob. I mean, I know it's a bit ridiculous to do these things, but um, <laughs> it, it's it's in actual fact in doing that, you're building up his resistance. You, they need, uh, I can't say you need dirt, but we need we need these things to to, to make our our bodies yeah. build resistance, which is the very thing. That we've had with the COVID injection, we've had to put in resistance that we didn't have naturally to to uh, to help us. Whereas normally, a bit of dirt, you know, kids kids picking up sweets from the from the ground and shove it in the gob, which we all did, um, and, and you know, not washing the hands. Uh, uh, it's just, it, yeah, it's it's a risk, but it's building up your own actual strength, you know. Yeah, so kids seem to be really healthier than the rest of us. Well, what seems to be even worse this particular year 
Um, and again, I go to another part of this particular uh, article. Uh, this is how trees in cities affect spring allergies. Sergio Fuentes Anton from the University of Salamanca. Large cities don't protect us from suffering the effects of pollen on human health. Moreover, the appearance of new green areas could increase the number of allergic people in the coming years if the appropriate species are not planted. Now, what I feel we've suffered from this year, personally, is the uh, sand which has been falling as part of the rain because, you know, you don't see it very often but it is something that you're ingesting and whereas I have a couple of times thought I've got Qatar it's probably the resistance of my body to this particular sand um, you know you've probably had the same haven't you could be well certainly without shadow of a doubt uh, I've not seen as much red sand about in previous years we did have a, a couple of weekends but this has been ongoing now because i don't know if it's the same where you are yeah, it has. it's been over a long you, you get the odd day or two and it's it's a curse and you have to go and wash the bloody car you know hose down the terraces but i've literally last week started to clean my pool it's going to take me two or three efforts to uh, to do it um and I, I, it's it's going to take what it is uh, i've never had such a thick layer of mud on the bottom of my swimming pool uh, to, to try and detach from the, from sticking to the bloody tiles, yeah, because you know, nobody wants to empty the pool. And it's going to take me uh, quite a few visits to the pool with the Hoover to get every last bit of it out, and I probably won't do until the end of next summer. Okay, um, right. Our next article coming up. Stand by. Okay, uh, so off to the UK for a little bit of uh, stuff from the UK. And this one I did think worthy of note uh, because these uh, the whole thrust of what we try to do with the podcast is find things that aren't getting that much space in mainstream media on the TV or whatever. You know, Princess Anne, 71 now, was accompanied by just one member of her office staff stayed in budget hotels and even packed her own suitcase during a whirlwind trip to Australia and Papua New Guinea. After flying all the way through to Australia without a stopover, she arrived in Sydney at 5am on Saturday before going on her first engagement hours later. On the second day, she met representatives of the Rural Fire Service and paid a visit to the Sea Heritage Foundation, while on her third day, she packed in engagements in Sydney and travelled to Papua New New Guinea and her final day saw her conducting eight official engagements um, I've got a lot of time for Princess Anne I don't know yeah. whether or not uh, you feel the same I think that whereas you've got all the histrionics of Harry and um, you know what he's been up to uh, she kind of gets on with everything and does a good job doesn't she yeah but she was uh, there was a time Vince when she wasn't and she had to have a kick up the backside because she was not uh, she was not pulling her weight. I do remember that. And, and but since then, uh, you cannot accuse her there of of doing it. She has been a, a a really good royal. I am a royalist. I support the royals. I think, as I've said many times, uh, if you think about it, they are the only people in this world, in in the modern world of Britain, born into slavery. Uh, Harry's managed to escape the slavery. Um, uh, 
it, 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 King George V managed to escape the slavery. He, he, he got out of it. Yeah. But it's uh, very few of them do. Uh, and it's a life that I would not like. It's all right. So, oh, look at the luxury. We've got palaces. We've got Rolls Royces. We've got servants. But, you know, there's sometimes I just want to walk, walk, walk around and have a fart. <laughs> yeah. And and, and, uh, and have a good chat with, with somebody, have a laugh and a joke and maybe do the odd swear word. Yeah. Uh, or go and visit a pub. But when you can't do that, unless you've got an entourage of security staff uh, uh, and people to make sure that you do you do and say the right things. Uh, I mean, especially the Duke of Edinburgh was obviously the least royal of all the royals. And I respected him more than any of them, really. No, I don't respect the Queen more than any of them. She's the hardest working. Yeah. Less than 95, is she? She's still doing it? Yeah. Uh, it's incredible uh, what they do. I mean, her especially. She's an absolute um, advert. And hopefully Prince Charles will pick up the, the banner and hopefully it won't be too long before Prince William is uh, installed in the throne as, as a younger monarch with younger ideas. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not a royalist. In, in our century, you know. Yeah, as you know, I'm, I'm not a royalist. But I am now of the opinion firmly, and if anybody who is not a royalist would like to consider this, I've not seen anything better to replace the royalty. Now, that no, doesn't no. suddenly make me a royalist because I feel, um, you know, I've no time for Prince Charles, quite honestly. To think if you're going to be the head of the church as well as the head of the state, uh, then mm. do what uh, you're doing what Boris Johnson's becoming pretty good at doing, which is basically telling everybody else what to do, but you don't keep the rules yourself. So that's my beef with... Uh, Prince Charles, uh, I would much rather have uh, William as the king. I think that he strikes me as being a very nice young man with his, with yeah. the, he seems to have the right sort of approach for things. Um, He's got the modern approach to, to, and it needs it. I mean, blessed the Queen is very much uh, the authentic Queen she's always been. She's, she has moved with the times, bless her, she really has. I, I think she's amazing. Has. He's, he's on a different track. But uh, Prince William certainly is, 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 is the king for today uh, and, and his wife, Kate Middleton. Uh, they, uh, they will be, I think, more respected than the, the, perhaps the current incumbents or certainly the future incumbent. Um, and it's, uh, again, what, again, as you say, what do you replace it with? You replace it with the president and you replace it with the president. Let's just have a look at President Trump, shall we say, and his entourage. That's what you replace it with. So uh, I think you're far better off having, having a team that's grown up into it and, and grown up into what is royalty and what is expected of royalty and the amount of trade that the Queen has created for, for, for the United Kingdom is in is uncalculable. Yeah, I, I'm of, I'm certainly of the same opinion. I think, unlike the uh, the American situation, I think what we will find over maybe maybe our lifetime, even I think you'll find the Democrats are equally as bad. Um, you know, uh, I think it was the worst or the better of two evils, whichever way you voted. But um, I've got some other quite interesting stuff to go on with, and this mm -hmm. one is your woke lot. Okay, so this is a piece I spotted. Edward Marnay's 1882 work, A Bar at the Folie Bergere, is one of the paintings that received a new label at the Courtauld uh, because it depicts a barmaid standing opposite a male customer and the woman's expression is 
unsettling. It prompted the British paper Mail Online to take a light-hearted look at what other famous works of art could be hit with woke warnings. They include Vincent van Gogh's 1989 self-portrait in which he is seen with his left ear bandaged after using a razor blade to sever part of it. The work uh, could be worthy of a depictions of self-harm label. Francis Bacon's 1954 work, Figure With Meat, might need a label warning that it could upset vegans with its gruesome depiction of two halves of a beef carcass either side of Pope Innocent X. And Pablo Picasso's Guernica, which depicts the suffering brought on by the violence and chaos of the bombings by Nazi Germany and fascist Italy of the Spanish town of the same name, uh, might need a message warning of C of distress. I think the general reason why I wanted to look at this and just develop it a little bit is that um, if we don't learn from history, then we'll just keep uh, making the same mistakes. And, uh, you know, that's tongue in cheek. But we're getting near that in some of the things I'm reading in the UK papers. You, you know, um, w- of course, virtually anything somebody can take exception to. But I take exception to how stupid all these things are now. It's making me feel like I haven't even been educated. Um, I don't know how you feel, Terry. I look at these things and I think it's absolute bonkers, isn't it? Well, but before... What was his name? The guy in Bristol, the statue? I mean, he's that well-known, isn't he? What was his name? Yeah, OK. Yeah, nobody knew him. Yes. Nobody knew him at all. He was a name. Uh, I went in England, in the UK, in Birmingham, I went to Matthew Bolton Technical College. Uh, he seemed to be a good guy. He was. He uh, worked, he was an engineer, worked with, uh, with, with trains, etc., etc. So I presume he's OK. Uh, well, I mean, you, you go into history, and they're talking about changing the name of Tullis Hill in London now, the area of Tullis Hill. The woke company have now said that that's got to change because they were was it's a slaving family, and, and that's what I said last week. Then, then London, of course, has to go. Londinium, that massive capital of the Roman Empire, dedicated to enslaving the whole of Europe. Uh, how can Londinium, i.e. London, actually remain? It has to go. So, uh, be careful what you wish for. It's, it's all I'll say. No, Get look- rid of these woke people. String them up with the politically correct rest of them. I won't hang him from every lamppost and I'll be very happy. If I was a whinge bag and a woke or whatever they want to call uh, these people, I could immediately rush to the history of Ireland and I could find things that maybe you know, all the Irish people might want to go at. All the English people, as you just outlined, could uh, rush across to um, um, Rome and maybe have a go at Rome. And a proposal drawn up by Michael Gove's Department for Levelling Up Housing and communities apparently will force councils to put road name changes to a public vote over fears that campaign groups could otherwise force through controversial changes without majority support and this is in the telegraph and i mean this is the problem isn't it we've got to the stage now where i mean you're going to end up with um google maps is going to be uh they're going to have stacks of work to do if we're not careful aren't they the minority cannot rule the majority. Uh, but because we live in a, 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 a so-called democratic system where half the country can't be bothered to go out and vote, then, then we have to think about the minority, the minority lead. And whereas used to be male and female, fair enough, we've got male toilets and we've got female toilets, that's good. Uh, now you have to have 
toilets for individual people who might fall in between those two brackets. And in fact, as one uh, idiot who wrote a book explaining there are 100 types of sexuality in the UK and calling for every school to have 100 different toilets, depending on where you actually think you are that day. You know, you, you feel a bit male, you feel a bit female, a bit, bit cross-dressish, whichever you feel. Uh, this has to stop, Vince. It, it, it's, it's gone beyond the joke. We're laughing at it, but it's getting serious when people are taking them seriously. It has to be stopped. Stop them now. Someone's going to have the cojones to stop it. Well, I watch... I watch the British TV as part of what I do uh, because some of the programmes are on at the times that Spanish programmes don't interest me. Uh, the one thing that I would say is we have a plethora of advertising now, which basically is all about advertising black actors and black actresses. Yes. Um, and I don't understand why the composition of the population has changed so dramatically so quickly. Well, yeah. I don't know. I was watching the news this morning and I was flicking through different channels and different presenters. Uh, and I thought in the interest of equality, well, I should have had a balanced, a balanced uh, ethnicity across all channels. But there isn't. Like you say with the adverts, there isn't. It's completely biased the other way. As, 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 a, as a blue-eyed, fair-haired, pink-skinned, uh, coloured person, because that's what we are, we're all coloured pink yeah. and, and whatever, uh, as a white male, I am feeling a bit of a minority now. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not fitting into the categories that are being exhibited to me on the television screen. No, I it's, don't. I don't, see, I don't see my family there somewhere on the line. Mm -hmm. I'm not Muslim, you know. I, I, I'm not, I'm not from, a, from, a, from a hot country, therefore my, my skin is of a different texture and colour. Uh, my eyes look reasonably normal most of the time. I don't, I'm, I'm losing track here. This is not me. So from an advertising point of view, instead of depicting a family which is supposed to be typical of the, of the people watching the programmes, it's not happening, is it? So who are you actually pitching your advert to? Well, it's that, almost... soap powder is obviously for, a, for an Asian family because they're all Asian people in the advert. So obviously I don't need to buy that soap powder. I'm not an Asian. It's almost That's as though... That's going to go through your head, isn't it? Yeah, I, I mean, by all means... Psychologically. Yeah, I, I mean, you always have a, a number of different uh, communities represented, but it would appear that uh, everybody's gone for mixed marriages all of a sudden. Um, so very rarely do you spot uh, two white people in an advert. Oh, and yeah, but this is brilliant, isn't it? Having a mixed marriage of ethnicity uh, in an advert is perfect because in... In one hit, you're covering at least two, at least two demographic uh, demographic uh, uh, parts of society. So that that's a plus. You know, don't forget the invalid kid as well. You've got to have one of them, or somebody mm -hmm. have their arm chopped off. It, it's no. It, it's, listen, we are joking, but this is it's going beyond the pale, and I, I really can't understand the reasoning behind it, other than political correctness. Well, it is, it is, and the minute you but say it's that, not correct is it? Well, it isn't correct. It is, it is anything but 
Correct. <laughs> Listen, you're absolutely right. And what really does worry me now, I won't say uh, me personally, but for the future generations, is they're using a technique that we that was used during the war, which is basically flashing something in the middle of an advert. So, for example, you've got the nice family set up and, uh, you know, got all the normal, what we would have had 2.2, call it what you will, and then yeah. flashed in the middle of it, two men having a kiss or two men getting into bed it doesn't seem to happen that the women um of the gay community are used quite so prolifically as the men i don't understand this terry well i mean in the, in the realms of sexual equality i'm, I'm leaning more now towards cross-dressing <laughs> in as much i think i'd be much more comfortable wearing a long dress rather than the tight pair of trousers over my fat belly mm. so uh, i think perhaps i mean uh, i think that might be quite useful for men and, and why not now, this is what annoys me, is is uh, uh, schools, you get the kids going to school looking the same. The girls have to now dress the same as the boys. They've got the blazers, the blouses, the shirts, etc. But they're, they're wearing a skirt rather than trousers. Uh, some of them have to wear trousers, I believe, the women and the girls as well as the boys. Um, but a, a boy, can't, in the interest of equality, a boy's, I mean, it's, we've had this, whereas boys have gone into school wearing a skirt. And they've been sent home. No, oh, hang on, what's going on here? <laughs> Uh, what message is that giving to telling people? If you're trying to, if you're trying to get across uh, 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 any size fits everybody, help yourself because we're a, we're a multi, multi-coloured, uh, multi-coloured, multi-ethical, multi-moral country. Then uh, how can you suddenly drive straight lines through a, a school representation? Girls turn up at school with, with all the girls without. I mean, 12 years up, up upwards or any age there, they've got makeup on. I mean, so why can't a bloke, a young lad, turn up with makeup on his face? They'd be absolute murders. Mm. It's it's wrong. I mean, listen. Well, uh, I believe boys should be boys and girls should be girls. You know, that's the way I am. But uh, if you're going to start forcing upon us a false a correctness, a false political correctness, uh, then let's all let's all live it. Let's all live the false political correctness and see how far we get. Oh, I'm happy. I'm, there'll be absolute anarchy. I'm happy the way a life used to be. Let's get back to normality. Absolutely. We're going to finish off with uh, some information. You might want to put your application form in early for the next one. It's okay. the 14th UK wife carrying race at Dorking in Devon. And you have two person teams, one carried and one doing the carrying, yeah, racing 380 metres around the town over Hay Balls. And while yeah. the crowd throws buckets of water at them. Rules are yeah. simple. The carried team member who doesn't have to be a woman or wife has to weigh over 50 kilograms or wear a rucksack filled with tins of baked beans, flour or something similar to help them hit the mark. Terry, <laughs> are you going to go in for this next year? I could do because my, my wife weighs about, uh, about 30% of what I weigh. So uh, I probably wouldn't know if she was on my back. I think I've got, I think I've got overcoats heavier than her. So, yeah, I could probably handle that, I suppose. I'll give that a whirl. I've got a minute left. I can quickly tell you that British Heritage Railways are facing service cuts just as the Easter peak season approaches due to a critical shortage of coal. The one near Merthyr Titfill in Wales was the last coal mine to supply steam trains with lumped coal, uh, but this source has been stymied with the pit winding down production as it appears to be permanently shuttered, according to The Guardian, and also the coal coming in from the likes of Russia is now not possible to obtain. Mm. So you, you've got ramifications virtually anywhere which 
does surprise me actually because if you you're going to blame Ukraine and and Russia on that one, um, they should have seen that one coming years ago, shouldn't they? Well, well, it was obvious, the, the coal shortage is obviously something to do with Partygate because that seems to be the seems to be the uh, the, the, the the cause of of everything that's happening to us at the moment. Yeah, um, my football team's not playing that well lately. I've obviously since that party at Downing Street. Yeah, it's affected everything, and I can only assume it's affected the culture guys in particular. You're right, Terry. And uh, with that, we've actually got through yet another hour of bringing news items that people might not have seen. Hopefully, it's uh, both been entertaining and informative. Terry, thank you very much indeed for your time. Cheers, pal. Look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks very much.